Welcome to the Robert Hunt Financial Market Update. It's your host, Robert Hunt, where I take the week's financial news. That can be a bit confusing, misleading, and take you off course and make it actionable, understandable, and clear. What a great show we've got for you this week. At the top, we're going to look at FTX, the crypto brokerage. There's an article by one of our favorite Wall Street Journal authors, Anna Turgeson, journalist rather, where we just talk about what should we be thinking about? Do we have anything to be worried about? We then will look at a stock market pump and dump scam that actually made its way to the Dallas Morning News. It was a syndicated deal, but made its way. That's right. You get the real simulated drink of the hot water there. And then we're going to look at an advertisement I received and then some data. I had a very savvy client have me pull a whole host of data reams on stock market returns and inflation and real estate. And I want to camp out on one of those re- return criteria and just put in some of the stock market volatility into perspective. So at the top, this Wall Street Journal article headlined, How Safe Are Your Investments? After FTX, It's Worth Checking. Here's what happens to your money if your bank, brokerage, or crypto exchange goes bust. So just a quick review. If you've not been looking at the news, good for you. That news diet, I'm proud of you for that. But if you haven't been looking at the news, then you would not know that there's a a cryptocurrency brokerage called FTX that went under. Uh, The gentleman, I've talked about him, who uh, was in charge of it, essentially treated the money deposited, it really wasn't even deposited, at his exchange like a piggy bank that he could just do whatever he wanted with. So the article says, as FTX customers discovered with the company entering bankruptcy, bankruptcy proceedings, investors can suffer significant losses if the company that houses their account goes bust. If the platform fails, you become part of the bankruptcy process, said Adam Levitin, a law professor at Georgetown University who specializes in consumer protection and is a principal at Gordian Crypto Advisors, LLC, which provides services to cryptocurrency businesses. So this article then goes on to explain, well, what happens if my, my bank fails? Well, you have something called FDIC insurance. That FDIC insurance covers up to $250,000 per account in many instances. Moreover, what actually practically occurred in 2008 and 2009 when various banks failed is the FDIC negotiated purchases where larger banks <clears throat> would come in and buy the smaller banks. So you really, the risk really wasn't there. So banks, pretty safe. Even if you're over the 250K uh, limit. Brokerage accounts, a lot of regulation there, <clears throat> unlike the crypto exchanges. So uh, the broker dealers cannot use customer money or commingle it with firm assets. So the SIPC, which is kind of the brokerage equivalent of the F. Uh, FDIC, it provides coverage, but there are a whole host of regulations that exist that did not exist in the 1870s and 60s and 1880s. So a lot of the stuff you're seeing occur to crypto, it it also happened with these other institutions. The government and regulators and the industry got smart and realized we are not going to last very long unless we have better controls. So Investors, are we to worry? Are we, you know, if, if, you're in a, if you're at any sort of crypto exchange, yes, I believe that is worth worrying about. Coinbase being one that uh, 
It's a publicly traded uh, group that this article talks about that maybe it's safer, but maybe not. Maybe not. Uh, anytime you step outside, step outside of any of a regulatory framework into something brand new like this, things can happen. Now, if you're at Vanguard or you're at Fidelity or you're at Charles Schwab, do you have any reason to worry in the same way that a crypto investor would worry who was at FTX? Believe it or else, many of the people, let's say you had a million dollars that you thought was in your account at FTX and it was a million dollars in Bitcoin, did you know that it is quite possible you in fact had zero dollars in Bitcoin and that your account is now part of the bankruptcy proceedings? FTX was not holding your assets in a separate account, ensuring that only you could access that account. They were just commingling, also, uh, allegedly, I think as, as the as U.S. Uh, is alleging, they just, it was one giant piggy bank where they were making bets all over the place with your money, and those were just digits on a screen. Really wasn't, wasn't a whole lot for you there. So that could be a zero. Is that same risk present at Vanguard or Charles Schwab or Fidelity? Nope, it is not. Is that same risk present at your bank with FDIC insurance? Nope, it is not. So what would happen? Or, or should we should we stress test it and say, what, what would happen if Vanguard just disappeared? I've Maybe you're not surprised. I've read quite a bit. Typically, it's a cybersecurity potential where what if they took down all of Vanguard uh, or all of Fidelity or all of Charles Schwab? Would you actually be okay? Because what we need to remember, and this can be unsettling, if you own a mutual fund at Vanguard and that mutual fund owns a whole lot of stocks, no one at Coca-Cola or no one at Google or no one at Berkshire Hathaway, they don't know your name. They only know Vanguard's name. Without a trusted intermediary like Vanguard, you could just be holding a bag like these FTX people are. But because of the regulations in place, we do not need to worry, investor, about that. And to me, this is another lesson that with your hard-earned savings, a la the richest man in Babylon, if you've gone back and read George Clayson's work, we should not take our hard-earned savings and throw them to the wind, which is what unknowingly or knowingly many folks did with FTX. So stick with the tried and true. Uh, do not stick your neck out. It's really not worth it. Okay, Dallas Morning News. Now, this is a syndicated article that was sent out, I'm sure, to a whole lot of newspapers, but pump and dump scheme. So eight, this is by Matt Otep of the Associated Press, eight charged in scheme on social media. Department of Justice says pump and dump scam of novice investors made them $100 million. The government on Wednesday charged eight men, it's rarely women, we can talk about that, but the women get in trouble for other stuff, who allegedly earned more than $100 million in illicit stock market profits by manipulating their novice investor followers on social media. The Justice Department and SEC said that from around 2020 to around April of this year, the men had a combined following of $1.5 million on Twitter and ran a pump-and-dump scheme. Seven of the social media influencers promoted themselves as successful traders on Twitter and in Discord chat rooms, whatever that is, Gen Z helped me out, and encouraged their followers to buy certain stocks, the SEC said. When prices or volumes of the promoted stocks would rise, the influencers regular sold, regularly sold their shares without ever having disclosed their plans to dump the securities while they were promoting them. So what happened? Someone gets on social media and says, man, I love this stock. Typically a really thinly traded small stock that they, they can move 
man, this stock's incredible. Everyone should buy it. This is great. Whatever stock XYZ has their followers buy the stock, they're actually selling into that buying. So they are, they're buy a security, no one's heard of, who knows what it does. They'll then start promoting it unabashedly, telling people this is the next great, this is going to go up 10x as it rises, because guess what? As buyers come in, for whatever reason, price will rise, the market seeking equilibrium, equilibrium, they will start selling into that. So you can't do that. And I was, I mean, this is news to me. I kind of forget how long you can go to jail for. Oh, these people also had a podcast. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Our little podcast fraternity here is now marred. An eighth person, Daniel Knight of Texas, co-hosted a podcast promoting all these pump and dump people as experts and traded in concert with them. Ugh. So you even got to screen out your podcast, people. Even yours truly. The Justice Department said the defendants showcased their extravagant lifestyles to fool others into thinking they were skilled stock traders. Yeah. Yeah. If convicted, each faces a maximum penalty of 25 years in prison for conspiracy to commit securities fraud. Whoa. So let's let's take all this in. It also, here it goes, I was being hard on the men, but in October, the SEC barred Kim Kardashian from promoting cryptocurrencies for three years and fined her a million bucks to settle federal charges that she recommended a crypto security to her $330 million Instagram followers without making clear she was paid to do so. Okay. So social media has now become, the main, for many folks, the primary medium by which they receive news. So it used to be, uh, you know, the nightly news at 5.30 was your troublemaker as, and their advertisements, believe it or else, are just as bad. Or watching football at uh, on Saturday at 2, I have to press the pause button when the various financial firms advertise and explain to the children the lies they are hearing teaching them to take captive their thoughts when they see a whale jump into an ocean or a uh, Roman column escalating, manipulating their minds to think that by investing with these companies, they will earn money. Eh. you got to take captive those thoughts. you got to teach those children when they're young, when they rise up, when they walk along the way, etc. So these folks, what, what did they do? Well, they committed fraud. They treated people. But think about the hearts and the minds of the investors they manipulated. Why did this work? Why in the world did would someone take stock advice from some random folks on Twitter? Well, they weren't driving ten-year-old Hyundai's; they were driving brand new Lamborghinis, and they were, and that that was aspirational. Who doesn't want that? Well, how'd you do it? Oh, I just buy these stocks, and there you go. There's the hook. So we this is our lesson to me. We've got to have our own philosophy of investment. Without our own philosophy of investment, we will surely. Let the winds of today blow our ship all over the ocean, and that is not good. So it doesn't always come in the form of these social media influencers either. This may sound like a ha-ha, I would never fall for this. But the very same tools and techniques are used by folks in suits, with degrees, with shiny shoes, driving nice cars, members of your church and your country club. So without a firm philosophy of investment that cannot be earned any other way other than, well, you could list this podcast every week. That's a good start, but you got to read the books. That's, that's even better. Without paying a price on the education side, you will surely fall prey to these schemes. So uh, let us beware that there are folks out there trying to take. And then an advertisement I received that I, I wanted to touch on. This is... Uh, an advertisement I received as a financial advisor. Oftentimes, I will get these emails. I received a uh, introducing Halo Investing's equity repair strategy. So let's just think about that name. It's the equity repair strategy. Ooh, how timely! My equities feel broken. Hmm. 
Now, the, the, the ad says, now more than ever, may it be a good time to begin putting structured notes to work in your client's portfolio. Here we go, the ability to dampen volatility. Ooh, I like that. While still participating in market upside. Ooh, that's nice. Boost investors' confidence and helps them sleep better at night. Like a lovey, I guess. However, we know structured notes can be intimidating to introduce to clients. Yep. The good news, Halo is here to help them start to finish. So I don't mean to mock the group. It could be a very wonderful group of people. It's a fine picture of the gentleman running it. I want us to learn from this. The core of the strategy features a growth note with soft downside protection that also offers enhanced upside returns. I mean, wordsmith that thing. The core of the strategy features a growth note with soft downside protection that also offers enhanced upside returns. This gives more aggressive investors the opportunity to make up for losses quicker and catch downside protection in case we haven't seen the bottom yet. So, investor, can you take captive all the statements that are false that I just read? You should. If you've done the mind work, if you've listened to the podcast, if you've read the books, if you've maybe even hired Robert Hunt to help you in person, what a privilege that would be, you'll know there's all sorts of words in here that, you, that you'll have to say, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. The ability to dampen volatility. Why do we want to dampen volatility? If we're thinking about investing like the farm, we should be pretty immune to volatility. We should have that 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 ability to say, oh, yeah, I don't care what someone else thinks my stuff is worth. I care about the farm. I care about what the asset is worth to me, the investor. It's cash flows discounted. You know, what is it going to pay up? I don't care about dampening volatility. That's a fool's errand. Participating in market upside, well, yeah, I, I can get that with an index fund. Boosting investor confidence, that sounds like I, I need to go to a, a counselor for that or hang out my, with my friends. A financial product can't do that for me. Help me sleep better at night. Okay, I can, I can do some Z-Quill or I can exercise and drink water. I don't need a financial product to do that for me. Here we go. It can be, in, in, okay, a growth note. Okay, I like the word growth. Soft downside protection. Who doesn't want that? Also enhances upside returns. They're promising you the moon, investor. They're promising you the moon. They're, they're, they're asking you to suspend reality for but a brief moment while you click the buy button. Don't do it. Be willing to walk through the valley of the shadow of death called volatility, called fear, called potential loss. That's the only way to get, the sure way to get your returns. You cannot hire someone to put you to bed at night, give you a lovey, give you a soft drink, get, warm up your hot cocoa, your returns are going to be garbage if someone does all that for you. You must be willing. Put on your backpack, put on your hiking shoes, and walk. And be willing to walk down sometimes and up sometimes. That is the only way to ensure your fair share. And the only way you're going to go on that journey is if you've done the mind work. You've, you've been willing to put in the time to learn, why does this work? Why doesn't it work? Because um, this gentleman advertising, it's wearing a, a uh, Patagonia with his company's logo on it, cut off, and he's in a New York office tower, you know, 40 stories up. With a wood table. I mean, all the things are good, right? All good. All good. And I want to end with some data. I mentioned I had a savvy client have me pull a whole host of data that I, that I got. And I wanted to, I pulled one, one data point that I always like going back to is the dividend growth by year. Now, this is the S&P 500 dividend growth by year. What does that even mean? It means at what rate do dividends, those cash payments made to investors from common stocks, increase or decrease per year? And this data I got goes back to 1989. So we didn't, we didn't pull too far back so your eyes don't glaze over. But I always like to go to the very difficult years and see if you treated your investing like a farm, like we talk about. Investing is not about this volatility, the up and down, the get rich quick. It's about sitting, sitting steady, investing for the long run, 
receiving the cash flows that you receive, receive what the market gives you and nothing more. Let's go back. 1989, the S&P 500 dividend increased 13.38%. Whoa. 1990, 9.3%. Whoa. This is pretty good. Now, some of my younger listeners may not remember, but 91, 92, 93 weren't like great years, but it still increased by basically by 1%, 1.5% each year. And then accelerates, the growth does, to about 5%. Uh-oh, here comes the year 2000. You remember the Y2K bust? I do. I got, I got wiped out. That's a story for another day. Uh, Internet America. I bought a single security stock. I guess I am telling the story. I got wiped out. YMCA referee money gone. Year 2000. Dividends of the S&P 500 decreased 2%. 2.5%. 2001, they decreased 3.2%. That's it. That's it. That's nothing. That's nothing. All of a sudden, you're back to big growth. 15%, 12%, 11%. Oh, here we go. This is the biggest drop. 2009, dividends in the S&P 500 dropped 21%. Now, you remember 2009, listener. That was a perilous year. Maybe your stocks dropped 40%, 50%. But did you know that since that 2009, there has only been positive growth on, from dividends in the S&P 500? Only positive. We're up 16% in 11, 18% in 12, 12% in 13, all the way, all the way up. And wasn't 2020 bad up? It was flat in 2020, basically. And this year is looking to be up 10%. For the investor willing to take the long road and get off the volatility carousel, not by using those silly structured notes or any other product that some Wizard of Oz wants to give you behind a curtain with a bunch of smoke and 40 stories up an office tower and a Patagonia fleece cut off and a wood table. Don't go fall for that. If you're willing to just stick with it, these rewards are there for you. So as always, keep those costs low. Keep that investing simple. Keep that time horizon long. That's it's going to give you the best shot at succeeding as an investor. Thanks for listening. Look forward to having you next time.